Thanks for joining us again with uh, the podcast. We are no wristbands. We drink for free. This week's guest is Adam Jacobs. Uh, if you've been to a show in Chicago in the past 35 to 40 years, you probably know this guy even if you don't know him. He's the tape guy, the guy who's at every show recording all the shows. Uh, we dive into all the shows he went to, his obsession with recording, what he plans to do with his recordings, and uh, all his great experiences along the way. So thank you for giving us a listen. Once again, no wristbands. We drink for free. Well, uh, we are here today with Adam Jacobs, who has a treasure trove of recordings from concerts that he has attended and been to. I guess that's the same thing. But at concerts that he's attended and recorded shows at over the years. So we're excited to chat with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's good to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Um, so I always like to start at the beginning and work our way forward. Sure. Uh, so let's talk about how you entered the world of, of sound recording. Well, I was a kid listening to the radio a lot, um, buying records and such, and uh, WXRT would have live concerts on Sunday nights and sometimes Saturday nights, and I would record those off the radio. And um, I, yeah, I loved the live concerts I was hearing on the radio. I wasn't seeing a lot of live concerts at the time, and uh, but I would tape those. And um, I met a fellow who lived in Evanston who told me that uh, you could just sneak a tape recorder in and, and record the concerts yourselves. Shout out to Steve Litton. <laughs> and um, I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So at 17, uh, uh, with the help of my grandmother, I got myself a little recorder and I started doing that. I started recording concerts. And. Um, as time progressed, uh, I started doing it so that there was quality was actually decent. And yeah, it's you know it's not a complicated story; <laughs> it's pretty linear. Um, but yeah, yeah, a little Walkman for about a year, and then I think it was around 1985 that I started bringing my home deck, quite a large deck with a couple of microphones and making much better recordings than with my little Walkman. Uh, so let's talk about that first show you recorded. Uh, who was it and where was it? The first show I recorded on, on, well, I didn't even own a deck at the time. I had borrowed a little tape recorder, was uh, the experimental music group uh, from England called AMM. And um, their music is sometimes improvised and sometimes not, but sounds like it is. Uh, very experimental stuff uh, for a 17-year-old to be enjoying. Um, and it was at a place called the Arts Club, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was that was in 84, sp spring, I think, of 84, something like that. I don't recall the exact date, but, of course, I have it at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when you get home from that show... Yeah, uh, is that I went to with my mom. <laughs> awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, were you like on the way back from the show? You're like, Mom, let's pop this tape in. When was no, the first no, time no. you listened no. to it? Um, no, I listened to it when I got home and plugged the little recorder into my stereo. And uh, and that's when I listened to it. It sounds like crap, but it's nice to have. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, there is a legitimate 
release of a proper recording of that show, or part partial partial recording of that show on one of the AMM CDs, coincidentally oh, enough. Wow. So, so there is actually a good recording of that. That if I really want to relive that night, there's better better audio to do so. <laughs> But yeah, it wasn't long after that that I was just recording local bands. And I just found out recently um, that I, I believe it was the fourth recording I made was Husker Du. It would have been, I believe, my first punk rock show that I recorded. Uh-huh. I'd seen Husker Du already. Um, and uh, yeah, I listened to that the other day. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> it was kind of a great show, despite the fact that the quality is pretty poor. Mm-hmm. But uh Yeah. That was, that was, I believe, show number four, which would have been a little later in 84. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, do you keep, like, do you just, like, in your head, you have categorical knowledge of everything you've recorded? Or do no, you have it, like, written down somewhere? I can't. Somewhere? I couldn't possibly. I have to write everything down. Everything's written down chronologically. There's no alphabetical resource other than the tapes being in alphabetical order. So it's not terribly hard to find something if I need to. Um but yeah, I just kept a, a running log of recordings until about 2000 when I just kept my date books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, you know, and I, 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 I jotted down all pertinent information in the date books, and then I just can look through the date books. Instead of writing everything down on a piece of paper, it became arduous, and I just stopped doing it around 2000. So, so when you start out doing this, are you surreptitiously yeah, recording? At first, at yeah. first, yeah. Uh, well, not not entirely, um, because I'm taping local bands, mm-hmm. and right. the local bands are cool with the guy taping the show. Right. I'm pretty sure Husker Du didn't know I was taping at the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I also think that I wasn't terribly inconspicuous about what I was doing. Uh, at punk rock shows, it just everybody was just doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. I the first Husker Du show that I had seen maybe six, seven months before that, there was someone recording the show. I don't know that that recording exists anywhere, but someone recorded it. I saw a woman with a, with mm-hmm. a little portable recorder, and, uh, and she certainly wasn't trying to hide it. So, but I do know that when I got to see you know, more, more prestigious bands and such, uh, definitely. Like late 84, I, August of 84, I was seeing New Order. Saw them twice in, oh, wow. in England, and of course I, I was hiding it then. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, yeah, there were times where certainly it would be under a t-shirt or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, it came to pass that I, I preferred not to do that at all. I wanted everybody to know, mm-hmm. make sure that what I was doing was above board. And because if I did it that way, I could make the best recording that my meager equipment could make sure so uh, that and of course you had both the band and the venue to deal with you know i mean well at, in the 80s the, the venues that i was going to were mostly super cool okay mm-hmm. uh i would have a, i'd have some trouble with the vic but metro um uh west end cubby bear everybody knew what i was doing mm-hmm. everybody kind of assumed that i was fairly cool Doing, doing it, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I think time has proven that correct. Um, so the venues, eventually, the venues just knew that oh, Adam's cool. You know, he's going to take care of it. He's not going to screw us over. Right. Uh, so it was just a matter of the band saying, okay, 
Uh, was there a show that you can think of that you had that epiphany? Like you're like, okay, this went from like a shitty home recording. No offense. Uh, no, I would, I would describe some of the early recordings as pretty <laughs> shitty. <laughs> well, pretty <laughs> they're, shitty, but they're not unlistenable. <laughs> yeah, but they're not particularly great either. Yeah. But no, no, there was there wasn't an epiphany. What what happened was is that my little Walkman that I would record shows with broke. Okay. Okay, now I'm, how am I going to record the show? I have to bring my home deck. I, I had had a couple of mics, and, uh, and I got myself a couple of cables, and I threw everything in a suitcase and started taking my suitcase on the CTA to concerts. <laughs> and, and it wasn't a light deck either. No. I mean, you know, it was encased in wood, and it was it was pretty heavy piece of machinery. Um, yeah, and at but that point, you're not a, sneaking that thing in there. So, <laughs> well, actually, um, there were times in the '80s at Aragon where I snuck pre- rather large pieces of equipment in by just showing up early mm-hmm. and just either hiding myself or hiding the equipment, and then coming back later. Where I I did that for the Smiths. Ooh, yeah. Uh, a full-size tape deck. Wow. And I just knew where to go. I knew where I could plug it in and got away with it. Mm-hmm. I did that for Love and Rockets when the Pixies opened. I can't believe how I got away with this shit, but I did. Yeah. So is that like just luck of the draw or like somebody tipped you off where to no, go? No, no, no. No, I figured it out on my own. Okay. Yeah. I didn't... Once, once I became a taper, I had no mentor. I had my friend who turned me on to it. Um, he certainly gave me some ideas, uh, uh, let me borrow his mic or whatever. But I had to figure out just about everything on my own. And I did. I did. Uh, uh, and I did, I think, pretty quickly. You know, um, you get the what mics away from people's mouths because people tend to talk. Mm-hmm. You get the mics so that they're pointing in the right directions to, to get the best sound. You wear headphones when you're making a recording so you know your mics are picking up great sound. These are things people still don't know now <laughs> when they're making live recordings. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I do not understand why people would make someone would make a live recording without monitoring it on headphones, unless you're bootlegging, unless you're, yeah. you're doing it surreptitiously, stealth. But, but if you've got permission... Jesus, wear headphones because you don't know what's going wrong if something goes yeah. wrong. And things go wrong. So I figured all that stuff out pretty quick and ended up mentoring other people. But I, I, I didn't really have anybody to look up to. I had to figure it out all out on my own, although I did have a lot of people who were very friendly towards what I was doing, were very um, supportive of of my uh, well, endeavors what, once you started record recording with your you know your actual tape deck and, mm, and so yes. on um did the did the quality of the recordings then just get pretty consistent after that um yeah yeah uh you know there there was a time where it was like well i fixed the walkman i learned how to solder and stuff like that so that that i could use a small recorder for some things and a big recorder for other things and uh yeah, the, whenever I, I, I brought the home deck, it generally meant that the quality was going to be pretty good mm-hmm. if the room sound was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no good room sound in Aragon, but <laughs> the tapes from Aragon that I made are listenable. 
most of them. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear that Smith's one. Um, yeah, I don't think that's out in the wind. So, you know, I, I was thinking about getting it out there into the hands of like hardcore Smith's archivists at one point, And uh, that was before you could just easily send a, a digital file. Sure. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I put everything on a DAT to, to make some CDRs, to mail off to whomever. And I just never did it. So, um, I know that one of those two Aragon recordings, there is a recording available. It's, awesome. it's somewhere. I've never heard it. I don't know if it's mine or not. Because I also have to assume that I gave away some tapes to someone at some point, And I know that they get out there. Mm-hmm. Like the Nirvana recordings I've made are, are widely available. Oh, wow. But um, I know that one of the Smiths recordings I made is, isn't. It's, it's, no one has, no mm-hmm. one's heard it but me. And, and that may change someday. At this point, I've found that I'm getting older and there's no reason to hoard these things. So, and there's also no way I'm going to make money off of them. Most of them anyway. I expect that there's no way I'm going to make money off of them. But I, 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 I've been sitting on them and God knows how much longer they're going to play well. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these tapes being over 35 years old. So let's get them out to the fans. And that's why I listened to the Husker Du recently. I'm working on all the Husker Du stuff I have, which isn't a great deal. They mm-hmm. weren't around that long. Um, to get it out to people who, who really, really are going to appreciate it. And, uh, and as, I, as time progresses, I'll just find more of these recordings to, to get out there. Probably not quick, as quick as it should be, but quick, quick enough, I guess. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Now, at some point in the in your process here, do you make friends with some of the sound people? Oh, of course, and are able to tap in. Of course, to, and how does that go? I mean, how long does that take for you to? I mean, I, I remember seeing you at tons of shows, and you're sure. always like standing right behind the sound guy. Or I, something, I am so. very close to to where the sound guy is because for several reasons, it's uh, uh, often away from uh, audience mm-hmm. um, noise. Sure. Um, there's electrical power there it wasn't until probably the mid 90s where i started putting the mics in the soundboard together um i would do that at lounge and empty bottle whenever i could mm-hmm. um you know decisions have to be made if if a band was excessively loud on stage taking a feet off the board at, uh, at any levels often foolish mm-hmm. and and if you're recording an acoustic set well putting mics up you're just you're just gonna have talking you, you record a band like low <laughs> and you, you don't hear the band much mm-hmm. i was what i believe was their first ever show in chicago oh, at wow. empty bottle and it was even though i was the stage was not far away from me most of what I picked up was at the bar, which was behind me. Mm-hmm. And it was just so, so quiet. And I, of course, this was before I was even considering using the soundboard. So um, decisions have to be make every, made every single time I make a recording. And now uh, I do my very best to make the best stereo recording I can. A lot of people are making live recordings multi-track with like... Uh, uh, I think they're, the little recorders are called Zooms, if I'm not mistaken. And um, 
you can do four track with that. But what I do is I have a little mixer and I, I plug my mics in and I plug the two lines of the board in, put in my in-ear monitors and I mix it. And it sounds great. Mm -hmm. There's very little that can be done post-production. It doesn't matter because there's very little post-production that needs to be done because no one's asking me to do this. Mm -hmm. No one's considering putting out a record, despite the fact that so many recordings have been released by me. That has rarely ever been an intention. Uh, the only time I can think of a time where I recorded a show with, with the intention of it getting released later was a sea and cake show at Metro where Thrill Jockey needed some Japanese bonus tracks and they asked me to do that. Otherwise, all the recordings I make, I, I, once they're made, nothing happens to them because there was no pre-organized, uh, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. There's like no plan in There's place. No like plan, you're just you. there for the enjoyment of it, right? Right, right. I'm just there for the enjoyment of it, and and I and recording is work. Uh, yeah. No matter how much fun I'm having at a show, it's still work. It's still responsibility. And as of late, uh, even pre-pandemic, but definitely post-pandemic, I'm going to a lot more shows where I'm not recording it. Oh, wow. I'm mm -hmm. just having a good time. Okay. Well, and well, one of the questions that we written down was. Does the fact that you're there taping the show enhance your experience or detract from it? As... Both. Okay. It enhances my experience in that I can listen to the best sound in the room. No one hears the show better than I do. Mm -hmm. And I can control my own volume, which is very important <laughs> because I've got hearing loss and I've got tinnitus. And, and I've got to really take care of my ears. And it doesn't matter how expensive or, or professional your earplugs are. Mm -hmm. They're still not going to give you the oral experience uh, that one gets without them or listening through headphones, mm -hmm. in my opinion. So I like to record shows so that I can hear them the way I want to hear them. Um, and I've done that for a long time. But as I'm not recording as many shows now... Um, yeah, pop in the earplugs, take them out occasionally when, you know, you want to kind of get an idea of what it sounds like sure. out there and put them back in again. And it's fine because it's, it's just entertainment, you know, throughout a great deal of my life. It wasn't just entertainment. It was much, much more than that. It was an obsession. Right. And, uh, and it was, it was my duty to the, to, to history my personal idea of what I'm going to to leave for mankind or, mm -hmm. or whatever lofty thoughts you yeah. might have on such things. And, and so I, it was work. It was, it was work. I enjoyed what I was doing. I, didn't, I, I seldom ever saw concerts I didn't want to see. I did see concerts I ended up not wanting to have seen. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, we won't ask what those are. Right, sure. But... Uh, but it, it was it was work that I wanted to do. Yeah. And well, it seems like there was a certain amount of like self-imposed pressure that you put on yourself absolutely to do this. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I there were times in the nineties I was working two jobs and then I'd go see a concert. Oof. God knows how many concerts I I dozed off at because yeah. I was just pushing myself so damn uh -huh. hard. Sure. It's it's easier for me to fall asleep at a concert. Doesn't matter how freaking loud <laughs> it is. 
uh, I'm just able to do that at this point. It's, it's your a, comfort zone. It's a skill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was very self imposed. No one asked me to do this, but but I thought it was super freaking important, and so I, I did it. And now I look back at at all those recordings and all those nights and wonder what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> but you know, I know what I was thinking. Is there a certain amount of, you know, satisfaction that you get knowing that, that there's people in the Chicago, in particular Chicago music community yeah. that really respect and appreciate what you did and, oh, and absolutely. feel like oh, yeah. it was worthwhile that you did no, that. Well, well, it, I don't always get the love. I feel like I think I deserve uh, or the respect I think I deserve, but I do often enough to know that there are people out there who who are re- really really yeah. appreciative. Well, not, well, not necessarily financially, but at least like emotionally. Like in the WBEZ right. article, um, you know, Sue Miller was just gushing about how you you have this treasure and sure. it needs to be preserved, and sure. you know, having somebody like that who, you know, ran one of the greatest clubs in Chicago history Absolutely. and had Absolutely. some of the greatest bands play at her place, think yeah. that about you's got to be oh, yeah. pretty good. Oh, yeah. But, you know, she she did her part. She let me in free, you know? <laughs> it's uh, a good connection to have. Well, yeah. You know, I, I would work these connections. I mm-hmm. really did. And and once, once you started going to any given venue for free enough, everybody who worked there was like, you always get in free, you know, the door guy knows you, they just wave you in. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, great. Um, in, in hindsight, I'm like, Jesus, these venues need to stay open. These bands need to be paid. But also I was broke. Mm-hmm. I never had any money. And I know that if I wasn't being let free into these shows, I wouldn't be going to the shows. So, you know, in retrospect, it's, it's really hard to, to think about what would have happened if things were different, if, if I were paying for everything, Mm -hmm. because at this point I feel like, man, I, I I wish I had, I wish I would have been in a position to have paid for every show I went to, because I know that everybody needs to make money. I know how hard it is to, to, to survive on tour, but, um, but I had my obsession and, and my obsession was number one. It was priority. Priority was taping the show and if I couldn't pay, well, I mean, I never even asked to pay most of the time. There was very rare where I would, where I would volunteer paying for a show um, because it was, it's the way it was. I didn't pay. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay at this place, this place, this place, this place. Great. Uh, that ultimately meant I didn't need to work much. And so I, I, I lived at poverty level. But I could buy my blank tape, I could buy my records, I could buy my crappy food, <laughs> and I could pay my really cheap rent. And mm-hmm. that was the 90s for me. Mm-hmm. And it, it, worked, it worked out fine. I had some pretty crappy jobs, but it didn't matter because, um, you know, I, I was just making ends meet was, was fine because I had, I was able to do most things for free. And I was, I, I, you know, I knew the record stores where the people behind the counter would give me discounts and I knew people at record distributors so I could get things for wholesale. Like I was a store. I had everything sewn up. Mm -hmm. You know, I really had the life I wanted to live 
set out before me. Yeah, you had your community. I had my community, yeah. And um, and I thought to myself, well, why, why, as much as I love a place like London, I, I, I couldn't live there because yeah. I, I don't have any connections mm-hmm. and, and I would have to get some really crappy job, work all the time, then try and go to these concerts that, of course, I'd have to pay for. And, all, and it would just... It became so easy in the 90s and into the aughts to to live that way. And so I did. I did. So this obsession you had, is you it know. satiated by the act of recording, by listening to the recording, or is it just like... Active. Active, okay. I seldom ever listen to my recording. Interesting. Uh, um, yeah, I, there are a lot of bands who wanted copies of things that never got them certainly did not get me on any any uh, good guy lists for that kind of <laughs> behavior sure but under the circumstances it was like i need blank cassettes for live recording and i need blank cassettes for giving away and well i only had so much money and i needed mm-hmm. to make the recordings so you know you guys may not get copies of the tapes and then you're going to get angry at me and i can't tape you anymore and it's like Okay, well, fortunately, that wasn't a big deal. It didn't happen a lot. It happened some. There are people to, today who have no interest in having, who having any kind of relationship, conversation, even Facebook, anything with me because of incidents that occurred in the 80s or maybe the early 90s. Okay, I was a kid. We all do stupid stuff when we were a kid. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm willing to be, let bygones be bygones, but not everybody is, and sure. I'm fine with that now. You know, I can't dwell on other people's thoughts about who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's yeah. super fine. You know, no, no need to revisit the negatives, but there must no, have been no. But a the lot negatives of... are important, sure, because I learn from them. Okay, you know, and so it's like, okay, so I'm not friends with these people anymore, or this group of people anymore. Let's not do that with the next people mm-hmm. or group of people. Sure. Let's make sure that I stay on folks' good side and that I can make a short list of people who I, I, I was kind of on the bad side with at mm-hmm. one point. Um, or even, who knows today, because there's zero communication between those people. But fortunately, uh, it, it's, a, it's a small group, mostly local. And uh, you know, if they have anything against me... That's their problem, because at this point, mm-hmm. it's just, who the hell cares? <laughs> I mean, it's just really, it's who the hell yeah. cares? Because even even with this incredible collection at home that that rarely gets listened to, I have so little regrets about the stuff I didn't tape. Because look at all the sh- shit I didn't tape. I did tape. <laughs> I taped so much damn stuff. Sure. How 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 can I I regret that much <clears throat> stuff? Certainly, there are a few shows. Boy, I wish I went to. Mm-hmm. But you know. I went to so much, so much that I can look at my lists of shows I went to and go, I don't remember this. I don't remember this. I don't, oh my God, I saw this band. I found a tape of St. Vincent. Wow. I have okay. no memory of seeing St. Vincent, but she was not well known yet. And she was playing, I believe, at Pitchfork. Okay. And there were years where I was the only one recording all the Pitchfork stuff. Oh, wow. Okay. This was before they got their their video assist screens sure. and, and they mm-hmm. were doing live web stuff. The Condé Nast years. Huh? 
Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, first it was the Intonation Festival, yeah. which was run by friends yeah. of mine. So I no, the first one. no problem recording that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of moved over into the Pitchfork Festival, where for at least a few years, no problem recording that stuff unless a particular band was had mm-hmm. an issue. But most of the time it was just Adam's doing his thing. Nobody really knows about it. Nobody really cares. And I'm just running recorders, <laughs> having three decks going at three uh-huh. different stages. Wow. And, and no one's really paying attention because nobody's worried about it because it's me. And there's a tape with St. Vincent on it that mm. I have no memory of seeing. And this is not isolated. This happens all mm-hmm. the time. I'm finding recordings I made of people that I have no memory. And maybe I didn't see her play at all. Maybe I had pressed record sure. for, yeah. for <laughs> stage A and went over to stage C You're busy to man. see somebody else. Well, I certainly was on those, yeah, three, absolutely. those three days yeah. for, for when I did that. But then they started doing everything themselves. They certainly didn't need me around. And uh, I certainly didn't feel like spending my time three days. You know, you get old mm-hmm. and, and festivals get old, at sure. least from my point of yeah, view. I know sure. people who are older than me who still love to go, <laughs> but I got sick of them. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, Is there a band that sticks out in your mind that you're like, I definitely remember that first show they had in Chicago, whether that be a local band or a touring band? Oh, well, yeah, quite a bit. Uh, first shows, certainly. Um, stick with me. Uh, it's the second, third, fourth, fifth shows that I forget. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I remember the first time I, I saw 11th Dream Day and Green and Material Issue mm-hmm. all on one bill. Oh, wow. In 1985, it was the premiere of 11th Dream Day's four, four, as a four-piece. And, um, yeah, I, I remember that, not super vividly, but I remember it. I remember the first Sonic Youth show. Uh, uh, the first Husker Du show at 9.50. I mean, these were, these, I remember these because the adrenaline's way up because it's the first time I'm seeing this band. I've been listening to the records. I've been hearing them on the radio. Oh boy, now is the first time. Like I say, it's the shows afterwards that tend to blur. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first replacements show. I mean, name it. I remember the Smiths. It's, it, it, it's the it's the bands I liked, you yeah, know. I don't right. remember the first time I saw Nick Cave, who I saw three times, maybe. I don't remember how many times I saw him. Never a huge fan. Nick Cave was okay. Here's an icon. This is in the eighties now. Yeah. That I don't know that much about. Never was a huge birthday party fan, but I gotta go see Nick Cave because I can. It's free. I gotta go. And ultimately. Not a Nick Cave fan. He's no shame cool. in that. Mm-hmm. No, there's no because he's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. He's very good at what he does. Doesn't fall within my bandwidth no, either. I, I think that what he does, he's incredible at it. It's just not my taste. Mm-hmm. Same. Um. So yeah, so I don't remember that. But but like I say, I don't remember a lot of things. But yeah, sure, the first times I remember a lot of the first times I remember. This is a sore point, but it's not out of the history that people know out of me. I was not allowed in Metro from 1989 to 1995. Mm-hmm. So I missed some incredible concerts, uh, including a huge section of Pavement's history. And and I'll go into that briefly because certainly that's always the next question from y'all. Um, <laughs> you know, I was... I had a really good thing at Metro and I fucked it up because I was taping. That's the bottom line mm-hmm. without getting into details. 
I fucked up. Now, now, prior to that, you and Joe had a good relationship. Was he was supportive of you. It and... was almost familial. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think that's why when I fucked up, he felt rather betrayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you're out. You're gone. Six years. And uh, I will never stop thanking the gentleman who convinced Joe to let me back in. Uh, Chris Holmes, who's... Uh, had a band called Sabalon Glitz and went on to, to do some other things and now is, is fairly, is probably best known as the opening DJ for Paul McCartney. Mm. Um, so Chris and I are still friends. And then um, Scott Booker, the, uh, the um, manager for the Flaming Lips, uh, who I also got to know. And, uh, and they were like, you know, let Adam back in. He's, he's cool. He's not going to fuck around anymore. He's mm-hmm. learned his lesson mm-hmm. after six years. So those gentlemen were able to convince Joe that, that uh, I paid my, my debt, <laughs> uh-huh. as yes. it were. Yeah. Yes, you served your time. You got parole. And boy, did I miss a lot of great stuff. Yeah. I missed, it, not that I've ever been a huge fan of Britpop, but I missed that whole thing. You know, I missed a lot of great concerts. <clears throat> and they're going back to concerts I regret missing. Early 90s stuff at Metro. Yeah. I missed a lot of great stuff. But, you know, at this point, 30 years later, who the fuck cares? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. I can regret all I want. There's plenty of stuff on YouTube of the bands I missed so mm-hmm. that I can go and I can look and go, okay, that's what I missed. <laughs> it may have been great. Whatever. Ultimately, doesn't matter how much I love a band. The, it just ends up being another tape. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's another tape that I probably will never listen to. So, so yeah, he, he let me back in and it was cool. You know, I, I, I continued to record at Metro 95 onward as, you know, as long as I had permission, everything was above board, everything was cool. And now if it's cool enough, I'm in, in the soundboard. Oh, that's awesome. So you're going to Metallica after this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I must say I've never been a fan, but I think it's very exciting that bands like Metallica and the Foo Fighters and, who else? Dylan yeah. at one point play places like Metro. I think it's great for Joe. I mean, I know that, you know, he, it's, it's super great for sure. him. He, he doesn't need the publicity. I don't right. think, but how fun for the, the thousand of fans yeah. that can get in there to sure. see the band that they absolutely freaking love mm-hmm. in someplace so damn small. Yeah. So and intimate, so intimate. And I would love to to have had that experience with some of the bands that I love that played that I never saw play a, a smaller place, um, but fortunately because of my obsession with music, not just with taping, but my obsession with music, allowed me to know about things early on enough that I was there right when mm-hmm. things started. Um, Mogwai, great band. It's the loudest show I've ever been to in my life. Really? Yeah, like ears ringing for two days. Afterwards. Oh yeah, this I, is in New Orleans. All right, I, I, somehow knew that Mogwai was something. I don't know if I even ever heard them, but they did a show at Reckless Records, and then at Loungejacks, um, and then after Loungejacks, they loaded up the van and drove to Boston. I remember this. A fella I knew, whose name I have unfortunately forgotten, was tour managing for them. And he was a Chicagoan, and he was a really nice guy. I mean, I, I called him friend at the time. I, I, 
I'm really disappointed in myself that I can't remember his name, but um, I was at Reckless making this recording. I was sick. You can hear me sneezing on the tape. Um, and then I went to Lounge Acts where there wasn't anybody. You know, I, it's just, I, I, you could sit and still watch the band, you know, on one of the side risers. Mm-hmm. It was not well attended. But I was there, and then I saw I saw Mogwai many, many times over the years. Um, not every time, but a lot of times. And they were always cool about me taping because they used a track from that that reckless in store mm-hmm. wow. on on a, a deluxe release of their first album. So you know, I, I don't feel I have any relationship with the band whatsoever at this point. But one does, you know. You're still you're still a footnote in their yeah, history. You still have a connection. How did that play out? Like they were like, "Hey, Adam, can we put this on here?" Like, how did they get the tape? No, how did it end what up? What happened was, is in the late '90s, um, with the internet, I would start meeting people, and uh, I met a fellow who was—I believe he was in Glasgow, and he was a big. Mogwai guy and was sending me like BBC recordings and stuff before they were ever properly released and 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 some some really cool stuff and he was close with the band so I'm sending him stuff that nobody has Mm -hmm. and so when they are doing these deluxe reissues hey Adam can we use this particular track for the Uh, yeah okay sure have you ever said no to anybody who asked god I don't think so I there that's not that's a lie that's a lie i have in a manner of speaking i have but it's been there there were extenuating circumstances for instance i I prefer not to name bands here they know who they are but where people where i would record shows i'd give people copies of the shows i you know a lot of times i never felt like i was really being thanked the way and i'm not talking about free shit which of course i got sometimes and appreciated but you know kindness is a thank you and i didn't always Mm -hmm. feel that Mm -hmm. so there came times where bands like that two in my memory uh would come along and and later posthumously hey adam can we use some of your recordings for something 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 and i'm like well look you know you never were really into that what i was into what i was doing at one time um you're going to make money on this release. Why don't you throw me a few bucks? Why don't you throw me a hundred bucks? Okay. A mm-hmm. hundred bucks. <laughs> or, or you know what? I'm going to have to spend so much time dubbing these over for you, digitizing them. It's going to be so many hours. Mm-hmm. You know, send me a modicum of cash. Yeah. I, I'm not talking about a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I'm like, well, then, then screw it. Yeah, sure. forget I it. don't want to work with you. Yeah. Because, you know... You're going to make money on this. I was doing all this out of the goodness of my heart. I never asked for money. Mm-hmm. And had you been friends with me that at that time, I would have just said, yeah, go ahead, man. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. Because if you look at the list of recordings that I made, and, and, and there are over 50 releases out there that, that, that either I was credited on or not, but they're mm-hmm. my recordings. You... Who, who were some of the ones that I never, you en- enjoyed working, you know, doing that sort of thing with? I mean, I know you had a good, you ha- have 
whatever, a good relationship with John Langford and you've yep. done some things, Mekons wise. And, yeah. Well, uh, the, the, the only things I think, no, the Mekons have re- released a couple of things by mm-hmm. me. Um, but one of them wasn't credited. Um, but you know, I, I, all I want, just send me something, send me a copy of the record. You know, I don't, you're, you're my friend. Mm-hmm. I, I want to see you do well. I, I, I've always wanted to see you do well because I love your music. Mm-hmm. You want to use some stuff I've recorded? Use it. Just give me a copy, mm-hmm. right? But if you're not, never been interested in being my friend, um, uh, never, never was like, oh, Adam, thanks for giving us these tapes. Here's a CD or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, then why do I want to be as as generous with you? At, even more generous with you than you've right. ever been with right. me. So, no, the Mekons have always been awesome. Um, 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 things have always been great between me and Sonic Youth. Um, Yola Tango, not quite as great, but still, you know, they've mm-hmm. used a lot of my recordings. Um, and, and I still love them. And mm-hmm. I still, they yeah, have, I think they feel they have some, you know, I'm certainly a very important part of their history. Uh, I think I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I feel I feel like if you're somewhat famous and you return my emails, then there's a decent relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, so them, uh, Wilco only ever released one track that I recorded, and I haven't seen them play in a long, long time. But I always felt that I had a really good relationship with them and their management for for. Oh, for a, a good deal of time, especially in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, and, be- and certainly you have a lot of Wilco and Jeff Tweedy shows that you've recorded. A great deal. There was a point in Jeff's career where I believe I was the only one he would let record the show. Oh, wow, yeah. quite an honor. But that was that was because of my relationship with Sue, mm-hmm. sure, which yeah. went back well before Jeff ever mm-hmm. met her. So you know, Sue would always want the recordings, Adam be at this show and tape it, whether I wanted to be or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes there were conflicts and that's I would like rather a job be somewhere then. else. It was like a yeah. job, but yeah. you know, if you're letting me into your, sh- into your club free all the time, if you ask me to come and record a specific yeah. band, well, how, I can't yeah, say, you owe it I to can't her say. At no, point, I right? owe it to yeah. her. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I yeah. do. So, so there were situations like that. So, so yeah. So I, you know, I, I have no idea what my relationship would be with Wilco or their management now, but I'm certain that if I were in the same room with Jeff, everything would be very uh, friendly, mm-hmm. very friendly. Sure. Um, it's just, I don't think that room is ever going to have the both of us in it again. Unless you're recording him, right? What? Unless you're recording him, right? I mean, the last time I saw Wilco, I don't know what it was, maybe seven, eight years ago, I recorded it. Their, their sound guy, Stan Doty, has been their sound guy for a long time, and he was the sound guy at Lounge Axe, and he mm-hmm. was at the sound guy at the at the Sue Miller Run Cubby Bear before Lounge Axe, and uh, and so I've known Stan since I was, you know, I don't know, twenty, uh, a long, long time. I've known Stan, and so Stan. You know, he and I, he's not, a, he's not on social media, you know, we don't, we're not in contact, but he, I think he more than tolerates my presence <laughs> if, I, if I show up to a show sure. with a recorder, uh-huh. right? So, so the last time I saw Wilco, I, I, I'm certain I recorded them, um, but at that time they were, 
they had a dedicated employee recording every concert mm-hmm. multi-track onto a laptop. So what the hell good was I for? You, know, what, <laughs> what, you don't need me around. Uh, still a great band live. Uh, I, I just I don't listen to the records very often, but that's you know that's me. I, I still think that the you know, I know they're well loved, and they deserve it. Um, I think that there's so much in their history that has been so amazing, but you know I, I don't go see them anymore, did, and I don't feel like bugging anybody to be put on a guest list. Mm-hmm. Or did the poster like give it away that we're Wilco fans? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean you know <laughs> posters like that, and I know you're friends with Avery, so mm-hmm. you know, and Avery and I have had a lot of. I, I you know, we're, we're, we're looking at a poster for the I Am Trying to Break Your Heart movie, and I think, Adam, that you are responsible for me getting Jeff's autograph on that. Am I? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Because um, he was the last one I needed, and we were seeing them play, I don't remember, it, it, was, it was right after the, uh, the premiere of the movie, uh-huh. and they were doing a show at the Riviera, maybe, might have been the Vic, whatever, and you were recording it, and I was there with Avery, and I, I was like, how am I going to get to Jeff? And Avery's like, let me talk to Adam. And I think you talked to the sound guy and the sound guy took the poster backstage and got it signed by Jeff and brought it back out. Well, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. well, I have some pull somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think yes. you, more than that, I think you're selling yourself short. Uh, I think you've seen the evolution of, of Chicago's music scene. And I think that's oh, a yeah. really incredible place to be to, and not only seen it, but recorded it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wish I'd started a little sooner. I wish I had a little better equipment. Mm-hmm. I wish, I wish I had a car. I mean, I took the CTA for forever. Um, you know, there's a lot of wishes that would have made the archive a little bit more um, interesting, diverse, and expansive. But, I mean, once I got into things, 85, 86, 87, things really got serious. Mm-hmm. That and beyond, yeah, quite a bit. But it was only bands I liked. Were there bands that that were Chicago bands, local bands, uh, that you saw on the upswing? Like you know, they're small, like starting out. That you're like, okay, I can definitely identify that band's going to be big. Or are there bands, or is it just like luck of the draw? Like, are you not thinking about it in that sense? Well, there was a time in the '80s where there were major labels that were really looking at Chicago, and that. Benefit benefited is is not necessarily the right word to use because a lot of the bands who did have some mm-hmm. relationship with major labels probably regretted it. But they were looking, you know. It was like there was the Minneapolis thing, there mm-hmm. was the Seattle thing, and then they tried to see if there was a Chicago thing, and there never really was outside of the Pumpkins and Material Issue. You know, they tried with Eleventh Dream Day, it didn't stick. There were there were other bands too, so uh, probably many that I can't remember didn't like, um, but but there were bands in Chicago that I loved that nobody gave a damn about. Mm-hmm. I I still think that the Slugs made some incredible music. I think uh, Dog Julian made 
he wrote some amazing songs mm-hmm. once upon a time. I, I haven't listened to much of his new stuff. I still think he's a good songwriter, but, but I th- also think it was us growing up together because I was hearing these songs all mm-hmm. the time because they were my friends, because I was riding in the car with them to and from shows and stuff sure. like that. And, and those songs are so, so important to me. And there's no way that dog can write a song now and it will ever be as important to me as the songs that, that I lived with, that I grew up with. Um, but I, I think that they should have had a, a hell of a lot more uh, interest and, and recognition. And of course, Dog being the talented gentleman that he is, he's found that recognition other ways um, and is doing rather well for mm-hmm. himself from what I can tell. So uh, I'm I'm very pleased for him to do that. But then there are other bands like for, there was a band called Precious Wax Strippings that I adored. But the guys in Precious Wax Strippings, I, not not to a man, but there were a couple guys in Precious who just either didn't have ambition or were assholes. Okay, and um, I would look beyond these failings because I loved the music. The music and. And that's I think, what's so amazing about your collection is yeah. like you have this treasure trove that nobody else has that's right. that you can support and, and talk about these bands that you know, I don't want to say like didn't make it, but maybe they didn't hit their stride like people were anticipating. And didn't like, make it. Didn't make it. It's fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. because because James Eha of Smashing Pumpkins was in a band called Snake Train, the hardcore well, I shouldn't say the hardcore. I should say a hardcore Smashing <laughs> Pumpkins fan got a hold of me and was like, "You have Snake Train," and say, I say, "Excuse me." <laughs> yeah. He he found out through the Bez article there was a photograph that he zeroed in on, and uh, wow, I I'm still friends with the main guy in Snake Train. Um, uh, I did sound for Snake Train, maybe one of the first times I did sound for a band, and of course recorded them throughout their very, very brief career. Uh, I really liked them a lot. So, you know, th- there's a band who are a footnote in the history of Smashing mm-hmm. Pumpkins, yet if you ha- get, take the time to to listen to their music, no records, no records at mm. all. But I have my live tapes, there's a demo tape. Um, you could go, oh, yeah, they, they were pretty good in that kind of grungy, you know, late yeah. 80s kind of way. Um, and certainly there are probably a whole lot of bands that don't immediately spring to my mind that if we were standing in my archive room, an uh, uh, otherwise unused bedroom, <laughs> I could say, oh, yeah, them and them and them and them because I, I- have these things organized to have these boxes dedicated to one band or another, you know, it's like, okay, all the handsome family tapes are over here right. or great band or, or, or whatever. Right. So, I always loved those first two or three green records. And I thought, you know, Jeff Lesher should have been a, a much bigger Jeff wrote star than he was. Incredible songs, but Jeff was not a nice person. And I believe to this day, he's not a nice person. And he, you know, if he's listening to this now, I don't think he's going to be surprised that I feel this way (laughs) because even the last time I ever saw green, he number one had no interest in saying hello or speaking to me whatsoever. And I had no interest in saying hello or speaking to Mm -hmm. him because of the past, but he made certain that one of the other band members who I was on talking terms with, 
came up to me and said, Adam, we don't want you to record the show. Hmm. Like I was going to. I mean, certainly history would say that I was, <laughs> but I thought that was fairly presumptuous on his part because, frankly, I had no interest and had lost mm. interest in his music basically around the third, maybe for the fourth album. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the fellow who plays bass with him, I'm, I'm friends with him. We're, on, we're friends on Facebook. We, we, we have personal conversations mm-hmm. about things. He is a great guy. Again, someone I've known for a long, long time. I can't say a bad word about him. Um, and he is still working with Jeff. I think to some degree, mm-hmm. he's still working with him and well, you know, God bless him. He's, he's, if he's, if he's making music that he's super happy about, sure. I, I, I think that's absolutely wonderful, but I don't have any interest in, in what Jeff mm-hmm. Lefscher is doing nowadays at, at all. Mm-hmm. And, and even before material issue uh, ended in its tragic way, I, I had completely lost interest in that because mm-hmm. Jim Ellison turned out to be, sure someone who you did not want to do business with mm-hmm. and uh, uh I, I i had i had solid evidence that he had stolen recordings out of my backpack mm-hmm. uh, i don't need to go into those stories but he stole from me he there are recordings of material issue i do not have we'll probably never see mm. again because jim stole them from me mm. and okay so that's a you know, very personal thing, right? Sure. And if someone is going to treat me that way, I don't want to have anything to do with them, you know? And yes. I'm not a confrontative... Con- confrontative? Confrontational? Confr- mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm not a confrontational person, mm-hmm. uh, or, or at least I try not to be. And so I do my best to keep myself out of situations that might create confrontation. So, you know, once... I've been screwed one way. I'm not going to let that way happen a second time. Sure. You know, I'm not going to take my eyes off my backpack mm-hmm. or whatever sure. might, what might've been the in- instance of, of some problem. So, um, shifting gears a little bit. Sure. Did you, did you feel like you had like one Avenue, like here's the type of music I like, I will only record things within that bracket or did you go outside of that? Oh like, no, I don't remember my first concert was experimental music, okay? That's <laughs> true. You know, I still listen to experimental music. I still listen to a, a wide, wide variety of music and I'm still very open to music that's new to me. New music and music that's new to me. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, one of my favorite records right now is from 2008 from a guy from Spain, okay? El Guincho. His first album, I absolutely adore it, and I listen to it all the time. Mm. Never seen him perform. Don't expect to because his subsequent records never didn't move me the way that first one did. Mm-hmm. But boy, I love this record. Okay, and, and and even as recently as as last year, the debut album of of a, a new a, a New Zealand young lady named Benny really clicked with me. Yeah, you yeah, heard yeah, Benny? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. She, her we one her on song the, on the website. Her one song blew up on TikTok or whatever. Mm. It blew up, but I love the album. I really do. I really do like the album a lot. And then there's there's a new there's a band out of England that's uh, doing two shows in Empty Bottle. The first one sold out like that, so they're known called Squid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I've the only Squid. reason I know about them is because I am so in tune what's happening with the label Warp. Warp isn't infallible. But what an incredible track record for, for, I mean, if Brian Eno is going to put his records out on this label, 
well, they must be a freaking great label, right? Yeah. So, but but beyond that, you know, when I was turned on to Aphex Twin in the '90s, and 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 subsequently many other bands that I enjoy very much that are that are not even close to being in the rock mm-hmm. idiom is it, it, it it's it's there. It's on Warp. It's on all these other little labels. Um, and and I dig this stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I will continue to find more stuff to, sure. to, to enjoy. So no, no, there's, I don't put, I don't put limits on my tastes. Um, uh, if I know I don't like something like eighties hair metal, <laughs> I, I have, a, I have zero interest in that. I don't like Metallica, you know, Me, there's a lot of metal. I don't like, there's a lot of modern country. I don't like, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the, the the insurgent country, the original type country, the country mm-hmm. that is championed or, or was championed by bloodshot, you know, this stuff appeals to me. Sure. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, dance music, uh, there's black metal that I adore that I just want to turn up until my ears bleed and just, just get enveloped by this, this, this noise that is, that is just so hard for most people to yeah to, so dissident becomes so beautiful dissident yeah exactly and, yeah. That, and and that's why my bloody valentine is one of my yeah. favorite bands you've got this this real noise going on with this this gorgeous melodies and stuff going on underneath it um i love i i i i was gonna say i love shoegaze but again i love a bunch of shoegaze mm-hmm. bands yeah, sure. but not every single one of yeah. them all right yeah. and and so it goes throughout history you know i can probably sit and listen to to woody guthrie or pete seeger all day but i have no interest in listening to bob dylan you know it's just my personal tastes but to answer the question they're very wide and they're not closing they're not closing down because (laughs) i want i want to listen to things that are 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 new to see if they're interesting in their own way because nowadays it's really hard to make new music that is that new mm-hmm. yeah it's very true yeah. um but if it appeals to me i don't care how derivative it is i'm gonna enjoy it uh, uh but if if you if you're doing something like squid okay you know i i i i, I turned myself on to squid because uh warp announced their their debut album was coming out and i went and i checked them out and i'm like okay this is pretty cool stuff Let's see if they're playing America and Empty Bottle was already sold out of their first gig. So people know. Mm-hmm. But how do, you, how do you tell someone what Squid sounds like? Okay, so if you had The Fall, This Heat, um, uh, 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 Swell Maps doing prog rock, that's kind of what Squid sounds mm-hmm. like, okay? <laughs> You're so right. You're familiar yeah, with yeah. them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... They're really, they've really put all of these interesting things into a blender and spit out their own, their own style, even though you can, you can check all the boxes. Yeah, there's and like that wave of British bands right now, like Black Midi. Black just, Midi, who I discovered early on as yeah, well. Yeah, like... Uh, never got to see them, but now I, I like Squid more than Black Midi. The more recent Black Midi stuff, I was like, this isn't as good as the old stuff. It's just so much is going on. We just saw them at Pitchfork last yeah. week, and it was just like... It was awe-inspiring how like intense it was and like how much people reacted to it. Yeah. So there's definitely like that that thirst and yearning right now for some like really like anthemic chaotic music. Mm-hmm. Great. 
Yeah. You know, let's let's get more of it because <laughs> if there's more of it, there's going to be more I like. Right. Thurston Moore just this past week, you know, he was playing as a power trio, which I've never seen him do before. But nevertheless, it was still Thurston Moore playing Thurston Moore guitar. It was an empty bottle, right? It was an empty bottle. And uh, um, yeah, it was really good. Uh, and he, you've got a recording of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm very close with, with, mm-hmm. with that organization. So, so that was my first recordings since March of 2020. Okay. Wow. I was going to ask. That was another question mm-hmm. I had. was like, what was yeah. the first thing you recorded back? Was just this, despite the fact that I've seen a bunch of concerts, mostly outside. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the first one I recorded. And uh, yeah, it was fun. It was, it was like getting back on a bicycle. It was, <laughs> it was super easy. And it was great because I could listen to it on my, head, my, my ear monitors and not have to be in the room. It's when I took them out, it sounded great in the room. Yeah. It was so damn loud and my tinnitus isn't getting any better. <laughs> and nor nor is my hearing loss. So I have to be super super careful nowadays with with loud concerts and I love loud concerts. So um do you feel like you still have and I I know we're 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 taking up a lot of your time right now, so we're going to try and wind down. I'm but, not looking yeah. at a clock. Oh. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you. It seems like you might be enjoying yourself. Uh, do you still have the Who, same? Wait a minute. Who doesn't like to talk about themselves? <laughs> yeah, that... <laughs> and that's really what we're here to do. Uh, well, we we really are, are passionate about hearing people who are passionate and have these amazing experiences. Nobody else has your collection. Nobody right. else has your breadth of knowledge of all this time, and it's been amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time. But sure. my my next question is: Do you still have the same passion, like that st- that same obsession to go and record, or do you feel like that's that's dissipated Absolutely over time? Not. No? Absolutely okay. not. Eventually, things kind of petered out. And where I am now, post-pandemic, recording one concert, been going to concerts since June, outdoor things, you know, festival-type things, occasionally some indoor jazz. Even before the pandemic, I was starting to go to see more avant-garde jazz at Elastic, at, 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 at Constellation, yeah, Constellation Hungry Breed. Yeah. I, and, and, and thinking to myself, is... Is this my next step now? Because I'm I'm kind of losing interest, not kind of, seriously losing interest in improv. You know, whereas that I, I would be at I.O. four or five nights a week. I was there less than four or five nights a month before the pandemic. Okay? Mm-hmm. I was really losing interest in it to my surprise. And so I, I was, what's what's new you know, so many of the bands sound like so many of the things I've heard already, and some of them incredible. I, I love Meat Wave. I really love mm-hmm. Meat Wave. It's not new, but I love it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, but what's really new? Well, improvised jazz is not. You know, mm-hmm. improvised jazz is older than I am. And if you listen to the stuff that Ornette Coleman was doing, or um, oh, God, his name's escaping me now. Uh, Eiler, Albert Eiler. That, that kind of very, very aggressive, dissonant type of sounds. Uh, other people, I mean, even, even Coltrane to some degree. Uh, uh, um, other people can name names better than I can because I don't know the history as well as maybe I should or maybe that I care to. The sound isn't new. But it's fresh enough to me mm-hmm. that I am looking for this new 
ex- these new experiences. Yeah. And so the next, the next itch to scratch, right? Right. So before the pandemic, I started finding myself spending a lot more time at Elastic, a lot more time. Uh, I felt very, very comfortable there. I, I knew uh, Dave Rempis was, was one of the people in charge. And uh, again, for some unknown reason, letting me in free. Um, I was really enjoying going. And then the pandemic hit and mm-hmm. everything fell apart. And I haven't been to Elastic since then. But uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's on the, on the close horizon. Um, and, and, and I've been to Hungry Brain, and I'm going to Hungry Brain a couple of times next month. And uh, there's really, to me, interesting things going on. And, and another thing I really love about enjoying that kind of music, people don't go to see those shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not, an, uh, uh, it's not going to be an experience where it's very crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and people tend to be more respectful of what's happening, so people aren't talking during shows like they are at... You know, even during Thurston Moore, it's loud and people are still talking. This is an empty bottle. It's just the nature of yeah. mm-hmm. indie rock, for lack of a better term. It's just going to happen. But when people are told to sit down and watch something, they're typically more respectful. So, so, so I've been I've been enjoying that kind of stuff more. But there's still there's just there's so much out there. Uh, uh, yeah, you know. I, I'm, I'm not fully certain what the next concert I'm going to is, but, but there's certainly many things coming up uh, until we decide that Delta is enough in that we need to shut things down again or whatever, yeah, right. whatever the hit, whatever happens, and the pandemic has been horrible for so many things any kind of theater and music and 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 stuff you know all these people not making any money um um, the workers and the musicians and Mm -hmm. the artists all this it's been absolutely horrible Uh, not 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 to mention the fact that people are getting sick and dying you know it's just been a horrible time but for me personally it hasn't been that bad because for a while, I was creeping up on not being that interested in going out to see stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. It was became rarer and rarer. Like I said, very, I was going to I.O. basically when I was working there. And I would do lights for shows there. And very seldom elsewise. And and with, with concerts, it was just sort of like, is this so important that I want to leave the house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, take it or leave it, right? And, and I just, it, it, often I said, no, I'd just rather stay home. So, um the pandemic was was good that that I I I was not leaving home for almost a year and a half and I got a lot done. I got a lot of the archives organized and organization that never would have happened because it was a great deal of work. Mm-hmm. And uh and it was work that absolutely needed to get done, but I wasn't rushing into getting it done and the pandemic pushed me into getting it done because now i had the time and i would be a fool to waste it sure so that kind of that kind of brings us to the to the big question yeah um you know you referenced it earlier you're not 17 anymore um you've got this incredible treasure trove of your life's work significant um, shows and everything yeah you know have you have you found 
do you, do you have your plan on what you're going to no. do there? Um, and no, guess, after the, I'm, I'm sure there's many people that have approached you with ideas about it. Sure. And, and I welcome, I welcome ideas mm-hmm. because I, I, you know, I'm only one brain it, mm-hmm. and the more, the more minds that get on this, the better ultimately things will, will turn out in the end. Right. So after the BEZ article, there was a lot of interest mm-hmm. in, in the archive, uh, which, which I welcome. Um, what, what is the future of this unique mm-hmm. historical archive? Uh, I didn't have any answers for that. Um, and so I, I certainly welcomed people's idea. And I met some in very, I, I met some really interesting people who might, who, who tried to go to bat for me, mm-hmm. uh, 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 tried to find out things for me. Um, I, I, I've been very complacent before that. Certainly since that, unfortunately, um, I have an old friend, someone I've known since he was a teenager, uh, and I was in my twenties. He, uh, he's, he was, I think he still is working for the library of Congress. You know, he was able to, or Smithsonian, I'm sorry, I'm a little foggy on this, but uh, he, he and I were able to have some serious discussions about wh- how that would work, mm-hmm. if that would work. But most institutions, what I've learned is, is the institutions that have possibilities, I guess, the institutions that people I know who know about in the, such things aren't interested because it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Most of it's not digitized. It all needs to be digitized. And we're over 35 years of archives. Where it's a great, great deal of work that needs to be done to make this thing um, usable for decades to come. Yeah. You know, um, or as long as, as people are interested in such things, right? And most institutions are not particularly interested in, in having to put that kind of time and effort into such a thing, let alone me trying to get a dime mm-hmm. for, for all this time and effort. Now, as I, as, as I believe I said before, I was never in it for the money, and I'm still not in it for the money. Uh, I can't be. Um, but it certainly would be nice if there was money, you know. I mean, I, I still got to eat. Mm-hmm. I still got to pay bills. Mm-hmm. And I've done that many different crappy ways throughout my life, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, just to buy the blank tape, you know, just to keep going. And I'm in a pretty good place in my life right now. But if if I lose all that to an institution, if I give it all away and have limited access to mm-hmm. it all, um, it's it's giving away part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Sure. And and I've always kept it very close to me. Uh, you know, I've always been very careful about how I store it and everything like that. It's your passion, it's your baby. It it is. It, it you know it 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 is kind of the child I, I didn't have or will never have um, in, in 
some weird way of, of looking at it. But, but it's definitely my pay. It's my life's work. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. It's my life's work. And when you work so passionately about something for the, the best years of your life, mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it means an awfully lot to you. But on the other hand, does it mean enough to me to be sitting there all day digitizing stuff? <laughs> no. Yeah. No, because it, it is the past and I do look forward. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe not a catch 22 in traditional sense, but I, I certainly get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's actually, it's a love hate relationship that I have with this thing. It really <laughs> is because it's, it, it can't just be thrown in a dumpster. Um, It's too big but to what am I going to do with it? What? So it's too big it, to even fit in a dumpster, it, right? It, I mean, actually, it doesn't take up as, quite as much room oh, as okay. you'd expect it would. Um, Is the ideal situation like you, you, you find some sort of an institution that's willing to do the work to digitize yeah. it? and Northwestern and, would be great. Uh, okay. They're, they're, they're not going to, but mm-hmm. Northwestern would be great because, you know, I grew up in Evanston. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, I have, despite the fact that I didn't go to school there, I do have, uh, I do have personal ties to the place Mm -hmm. uh, and recordings from Northwestern. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to do it. Uh, I mean, it would be great to have my archive sit along the side of John Cage archive and the Glenn Branca archive Mm -hmm. and and goodness knows what other incredible archives they have there that I don't know about. Sure. It would be fantastic. Yeah. But I don't think they're, I don't think that are interested, you know, when shortly after the BEZ article, um, people were like, Oh, how about this place? How about this place? How about this place? I'm like, you know, I don't want it to go to Ohio. I want it to stay. Well, it's, it's a local archive. Yeah. Yeah. The vast majority of the record, well, almost all the recordings were done here. Not all of them, but most of them, 98%. Mm -hmm. Um, but, What's the percentage of just local bands? Yeah. It's so high that it would be silly because if there, there's an archive in some other state and people are looking through it and they're like, who the hell was Fang Beach or Barbie Army or or even Precious Wax Drippings? Mm-hmm. You know, sure. who were these people? And of course... Nobody knows in Chicago either, mm-hmm. but at least it was, it was uh, 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 a a band that was happening in Chicago. There's a mm-hmm. Chicago history, and and these names that nobody knows, like they're they're just they're, there's so many of them. There's just so many bands that never put out a record. Uh, Joe for a night, I loved them. Plug Uglies. Um, <laughs> Just it's the the names just this, mm-hmm. are so endless and and when I got into in the nineties and into the aughts I was listening to a lot of music that was listened to mostly by people who are a lot younger than I am the the punk rock scene the the emo scene before the term emo became a bad word going to fireside all the time oh, I love mm-hmm. the fireside. You know, if I wasn't at Lounge Axe or Empty Bottle, I was at Fireside. There was, was never a night that. where there wasn't a great concert yeah. happening. Mm-hmm. And I saw some amazing concerts at Fireside. <clears throat> and, you know, that stuff doesn't come up. You know, Sidekick Cato, 
or or the whole the whole li- the whole list of bands on Johan's face, you know, uh, or um, um, Promise Ring. God, I loved Promise Ring, or or uh, um, I think I've seen oh, so like, many uh, names, so many names. It's just it, my head's swirling. I think I've seen like Hot Water Music there, Lawrence Arms. Sure. Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so many names. Honor swirling. System. I can't that one was. Remember? Do you remember Honor System? I remember the name. I don't yeah, know. They, I don't they were know. Great. Because again, I saw a lot of these bands opening for other bands. Like the first time I saw Braid was opening for another band, and then I'm like, oh, I like Braid, and then I start seeing Braid all the time, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to see the first show sometime. Yeah, I get hooked. And and they and and Braid was the first on the bill of like four bands or something. You got to start somewhere, right? I never saw Friction, which is a slightly free braid, pre-braid. Uh, uh, um, I never saw I never saw Gage, which I switch until they did the reunion. But I saw all the post-Gage stuff. <laughs> I saw all the post-Gage stuff. I loved that Sweater Weather put out one and a half singles. Sweater <laughs> Weather were great. They were a great. They were. I loved Sweater Weather. How many shows did they do entirely? A dozen. How many did I see? Three or four? That's pretty impressive. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing on those yeah. numbers, but you know, people would go on. The Orwells are putting out some kind of archival release soon, or have recently done. I said, hey guys, of the few shows they played, I taped them twice. Do you need live cuts? No, they weren't interested. Hmm. Okay, fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm glad that that Orwells floating up out of out of the history of Chicago yeah. for for some kids to latch on and go oh wow what a great band this was you know um man just so many so many and i wasn't into the super hardcore stuff there was a whole lot of stuff i didn't yeah. see mm-hmm. whole lot of stuff i didn't <laughs> see or the metal stuff but but uh, man yeah i i i really treasured all the time i spent it at uh, at fireside and it was walking distance from home so that was fantastic. And, and a lot of bands that were playing places like Lounge X and Empty Bottle were also playing at Fireside. And sometimes two days in Chicago. And you do the Over 21 show. Mm-hmm. And then you do the All yeah. Ages show at Fireside. Yeah. I remember I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in Western Springs. And it was like we would find out about shows at, at the Fireside. And it would be like, we're going downtown tonight. <laughs> we are going to the Fireside. And it was like such a... An amazing experience, and it always. Did you think you were in a bad neighborhood? No, surprisingly not. A lot of people thought they were in a bad neighborhood. (laughs) Cars got broken into and stuff like that. I will say, like, I did not know where the fireside was conceptually, like north, south, east, west. Yeah. Until probably like five years ago, and I was like driving down Fullerton. I was like, oh man, that's where the fireside was. I was like, I remember there was a park right by it, and there was a Domino's, and that's all I remember. But man, I, I used to walk home to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I would too. That was because disgusting the, bathroom. The notoriously yeah. horrible bathrooms. <laughs> I was close enough that I could just walk home and go to the that's, bathroom. That's always good. I lived behind a bar in New Orleans. I would do the same thing. Uh, so as we wind down, yeah. we like to ask people uh, some random Chicago questions. Right. So this is we call it the rapid fire round. But sure. you feel free to ex, you know expound as much as you'd like. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite? 
show you've recorded in Chicago, like something you consider to be like your master. Yeah, no, no. I mean, come on. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to ask. I it. stopped counting a long, long time ago, and you know the numbers, the numbers of concerts that I've been to, not number of bands, but number of concerts I've been to, are well over ten thousand mm. at this point. It's crazy it, impressive. It's a crazy amount of music to see, but there were times where there were many years in the '90s where I was seeing around two hundred and fifty concerts a year. Yeah, yeah, and there I think one one night. One night, I think the most concerts, not one night, one day, I think the most concerts they saw in a day was seven, <laughs> where I would go and I'd see an in-store and I'd see some other, I'd see some early show and then I'd yeah. see some late show. <sighs> I would just love to see your list. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, whatever, fun. You know? it's fun to look at. Yeah. It's not digital. It's just on paper. Yeah. But, we're, we're but favorite concerts, you know, yeah, yeah. somebody's going to type, type the, it up yeah. for you. There. Favorite concerts are favorite bands, you know? Yeah. Favorite concerts, like when Yola Tingle played as a two-piece in 1988 at Cubby Bear, it was, it was super, super fun. That was super fun. Um, it was so laid back and wonderful, and they were just playing just absolutely wonderful material, and, and it was super low-key, and it was just, it was a great, great concert. And I've seen Yola Tingle do other things like that, too, and they're always amazing live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And and recorded. I mean, I I, I love their records. Uh, they and uh, like when the wedding present played the played lounge acts. This would have been the second time I saw them. Shortly, shortly after they recorded what many people consider their best album, Sea Monsters. Now, wedding present in the '90s was an absolutely favorite band of mine, and they came. They recorded it up in Minneapolis. Played a gig in Minneapolis. Came down to Chicago. Played a gig. Played half the album for us that we wouldn't hear for another six or seven months. Mm-hmm. And um, absolutely amazing. But I can tell you other amazing wedding present concerts yeah, sure. I went to too. It's, it's really, it's about favorite bands. It's hard for me to think about amazing concerts by bands that weren't favorites. Yeah. I know, I, very memorable concerts, mm-hmm. definitely super memorable concerts, but not necessarily favorite. Uh, deep dish or thin crust pizza? Oh, um, I love pizza and, uh, and things, um, really went in the shitter when I went gluten free. Um, <laughs> my, my health improved so quite sorry. a bit. <laughs> uh, my health improved quite a bit and I would recommend it to anybody to try it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, once you go gluten free, you're never eating deep dish again because they can't do gluten free yeah, deep dish no or stuffed or anything like that. So, so, um, I, was a, I, I was a big fan of, of, of stuffed pizza. I, I especially Eduardo's, Giordano's. Uh, uh, thick was great, but I liked stuffed. I yeah. really loved mm-hmm. stuffed, and um, and I still eat pizza because I absolutely adore it. But it's always thin mm-hmm. because that's the only way you're going to have a gluten free pizza that is pizza pizza like enough. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a, a favorite gluten free pizza place in the city? No, or that makes no. As a matter of fact, I have never been to a restaurant that has made a good gluten-free pizza. I am certain they exist, but I've never been to one. And currently, my favorite gluten-free pizza is something I buy at Aldi. <laughs> okay. They have they have fresh cauliflower crust pizzas oh, wow. at Aldi mm-hmm. now, and uh, they're quite good. They're quite good. Uh, they satisfy my cra- my pizza cravings, and that's really all you need. Okay. Well. Yeah. 
but yeah, yeah. but the answer is deep dish. Okay. <laughs> Hell yeah, we got one. Uh, despite, despite the fact that I'll, I'll, I'll never eat it again as long as I live. You'll have those memories forever, though. I, I will. I certainly will. Um, so we're broadening this out because sometimes we ask it, people are like, oh, I don't drink or I don't drink uh, beer anymore. So I, I've big... never been a drinker, ever. Yeah. Okay. So what's your favorite cheap beverage? doesn't necessarily have to be I'm, I'm a, I'm a, wa- I'm a water drinker. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I will taste a cocktail. Um and my girlfriend gets a cocktail. Oh, this is delicious. Okay, I'll mm-hmm. have a taste. It's not like I'm on the wagon. Yeah. It's not like I ever had a substance abuse problem. I just don't care for it. Sure. Um, um, so, yeah, I, I don't go out drinking, never have. Uh, uh, free alcohol? No, generally not. I don't even touch mm-hmm. it. Um, One obsession uh, was enough for you. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, right? I never, I never touched any kind of drugs until mm-hmm. my 40s. Mm-hmm. I was real straight. I was super, super straight because I had. You had to be so locked. In I had a focus. Set up. I had yeah. a focus. I really did. Job to do. The focus yeah. was the focus was the music, yeah. and the focus still is the music. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but you know, since my forties, I've enjoyed uh, dabbling in some psychedelics, mm-hmm. uh, some of which are now illegal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but um, yeah, uh, no, alcohol just doesn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you my favorite beer because I wouldn't know. I I enjoy cider now and then. I okay. do, mm-hmm. I do a couple of times a year, when when it's available and I, I am in a social situation where I would feel awkward not drinking, mm-hmm. uh, sure. I, I will find a cider. Um, but yeah, yeah, a juice on occasion. I enjoy some juice. Uh, as, a, as a firm believer in physical media, yes. do you have a favorite record store in the city? Oh boy, I used to, but it's the, they're gone. Um, and who is that? Oh, you know, I could walk to Saki okay. on Fullerton. I loved to get out of my home just to, to, to breathe the fresh air that wasn't my living space and walk over to Saki and hang out and hear what's new, hmm. what's going on, maybe pick up a couple records or something like that. I loved that. I loved going to Logan Hardware when it was on Fullerton, mm-hmm. not the bar that, we, that everyone knows, <laughs> sure. but when it was yeah. a record store. John would treat me right. I would find a lot of great records there at 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 prices that I was happy to pay, mm-hmm. and um, I really I really enjoyed that. That's recent stuff, both gone. Um, I don't know. I worked at Pravda in the eighties. Um, it was okay. It it you know work, it was not my first record store I worked at, um, but. Uh, it was the first record store I worked at that had a concentration on new music enough that there was a lot of new records in there. Mm-hmm. And I, be- and I was able to get relationships with record distribution people yeah. and record label people. Not that I ever used them or to, to further myself very much. They became part of your community. In a manner, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, at least for some period of time. So, so, so there was that. I, Reckless came into being right at the end of the 80s, I think. And um, I rarely ever go there, but I always find stuff there. You know, they came into Chicago as Wax Tracks was disappearing uh, up their own whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they just decided that they were going to be the best record store in Chicago, and 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 they did with you know several locations and and just having you know they they were able to get stuff from England that nobody else was getting. Um, are they the best record store in the city? 
arguably, but 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 I I don't I don't go there. I I on on rare occasions when I go to a record store, I I prefer to go something a little bit smaller. You mm-hmm. know, let, let's see what Bric-a-Brac has. Mm-hmm. They're good people over mm-hmm. there. There's not a lot of selection compared to other stores, but you know I can occasionally pick up some new release from them and rather give them money than, sure. than someplace bigger, you know, or if I'm in Evanston, maybe I'll get squeeze box or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, but like that I, I rarely go there too. Yeah. The fact is, is that my home is a record store. <laughs> I <laughs> way I, vast, more vast than anybody else could ever possibly have. Yeah. Well, it, but it's not, it's, it's not just about the stuff that I've already heard, but I have thousands of records and CDs that I've never listened to because I, I hoarded them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I can go to any number of boxes or shelves and pull out any number of CDs and records that I have never listened to, but I know I like already because otherwise they wouldn't be in my house. Mm-hmm. So I can have a completely new experience with music that's as old as a hundred years old because I love music from the twenties mm-hmm. and, and the teens and stuff like that, all the way up to uh, the teens of, of the twenty sure. the twenty teens, mm-hmm. um, um, because you know there's not a lot of people making CDs anymore to for one to buy in large quantities. Uh, um, as as promos from someone who's otherwise going to throw them away or something sure. mm-hmm. like that. So so my home is a record store in a lot of ways. And, and in the attic, I was in the attic the other day, uh, uh, living where I am now. I have an attic and a basement full of stuff as well as as uh, space on uh, in the living space. And uh, I was in the attic, and I'm like. Uh, I forgot about these uh, sea feel, the orb, uh, what uh, boards of Canada. I had never listened to these CDs. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, this is wonderful. Now I know what I'm listening to this afternoon because because uh, uh, I own them. <laughs> I want to hear them. Yeah. Yes. So um, so yeah, yeah. My favorite place to look for music is my own home. I love that. Um, and I just I just don't go shopping very often anymore. It's just not. It's just. It's hard. I don't think we're going to top that question, but my last one's going to be uh, what, like, when you think back on all the places you've recorded, do you have a, a, a venue? I think I know what the answer is going to be, but I could be totally wrong. Do you have a favorite venue that. that well, I adored Lounge Axe. Knew it. Mm-hmm. But, knew but it. I'll tell you something Shuba's. It's a great space. Shuba's has always been an amazing amazing space it's always sounded great in there they've always had a great pa the sight lines are great mm-hmm. and the feel the feel of the place you know lounge x was just this it had its own aesthetic but it it it, it didn't have the warm woody feel that mm-hmm. shubas yeah. has and Certainly, it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference to the music, whether you've got wood paneling or, or you know, whatever, little filigrees on the wall, whatever. But it, 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 it subconsciously makes one comfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I, I went to CBGB's once and recorded a show there once. And it was kind of disgusting. <laughs> you know, there was, there was, there was, there was just, you, you look up and there's just dust that's been there since the seventies, right? This was in the nineties. I was there. It, it was, it was, but that was the feel of CBGB's, the iconic, mm-hmm. iconic place. And Lounge X was never like 
disgusting at all. It, it, but it, it had that. It had this feel, this iconic feel within it. You, I felt like I was in some place that was very important mm-hmm. even before it was gone. Never felt that way with Shubas, but I always Shubas. I always felt so. Ho- it always felt so homey, mm-hmm. despite the fact that Lounge Jacks was kind of home. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I I slept on that dirty couch too many times (laughs) there there was it certainly was home for me for a certain part of my life shuba's always felt homey to me hideout feels that way too Mm -hmm. a a lot of the time um these smaller places today today the place that is the homiest to me the place i feel most comfortable and enjoy going despite the fact that it's nowhere near my home is the montrose saloon I don't know if either of you been there. Oh, yeah, I have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Eric has put together this really nice little room, Mm -hmm. bringing in a lot of really great music that not a lot of people know about. So, you know, they can play there at reasonable prices, past the hat, stuff like that. But Chicago is so filled with incredible talent, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we would agree. that, um, that, that, That you can go to Montrose fairly often see great shows you know drop 10 bucks in the hat or whatever right. uh so you know that is where i am now you know i don't know the next time i'll be at shubas shubas isn't shubas anymore shubas is audio trees shubas and i've got no beef with audio tree mm-hmm. but i knew mike i knew chris this is these are hometown guys their hometown bar that that I'd been going to since they started since it, you know I was at Gaspers before that it's right. you know I liked that I liked that and then things changed there mm-hmm. and you know things change for the better all the time but I don't go to Shubas anymore mm-hmm. if they have a concert there I want to see maybe but but you know I I I don't know what's going on in music so much anymore and mm-hmm. I see all these names coming to Shubas and Lincoln Hall and 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 Metro and all the places I, who is this band selling out Aragon mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know and I I'm okay with that I'm okay with being the old guy who doesn't know <laughs> about music anymore because I used to be the young guy who knew everything yeah and and I don't have the passion to do that anymore. And I could sit and go on the internet and check out every one of these bands that's playing and go, oh, oh, I like this. You know, like a friend of mine got a hold of me and says, are you going to Empty Bottle tomorrow? Holy Wave is headlining. Holy Wave's a band I know. I've never seen them, but I, I, I've heard their records. They're okay. But there's this opening band that my friend's really excited about. <sighs> Probably won't go. I haven't listened to them yet. I could sit and listen all day to bands that I could go see concerts by. But as I was saying earlier, I don't have the drive to go out and see the music anymore so yeah. much. And my friend, I have friends who go my age, still go see concerts often more often than I do. Hey, Adam, are you going to go see so-and-so? Are you going to go see so-and-so? I'm like, no, I, I, I want to stay home. Mm-hmm. I want to sit, sit and watch TV, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, it's just it's it's maturing it's aging it's being in the trenches for decades mm-hmm. right. and just just going you know you i'm really time. happy with what's happened yeah. <laughs> and i don't need to push for more of it to happen yeah. and if it just sort of trickles in instead of the constant stream or 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 flood as it was once upon a time 
it can go down. It can tr- it can be a trickle now. Yeah, so I like that. Awesome. Well, well I, I just want to say thank you again sure. so much yeah. for coming on and talking to us today. Uh, you know, if you ever need help with anything with your archive or anything, please feel free to let us know. We sure. are more than happy to help in any yeah. way, shape, or form we can. But uh, you just have such an amazing story and so many experiences that it's been wonderful to sit down and talk with you. Well, today. thanks for having yeah. me on. Uh, yeah. I hope I see you out at a show sometime. I'm if sure I do, you will. I'm going to say hi. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you, Adam. Yeah. My pleasure. All right. Thanks so much for listening today. We are No Wristbands. We drink for free. Music, of course, has been provided by Merlin Wall. Please check them out on Spotify or on Bandcamp. Please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and check out our website at NoWristbands.com.